Hello, everyone. You are listening to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast, and I'm your host, Rick Cole. We come to you each week from the beautiful Niagara region of Ontario, Canada, bringing you all the big news stories in the hockey and sporting worlds from 50 years ago this week. This time around, we're in the week of March 23rd to 29th, 1970. Our podcast is made possible by our two sponsors. Newspapers.com is the world's largest online newspaper archive, and their support has been crucial to our research. Uh, They allow us to access all the newspapers from 50 years ago and get all those wonderful news tidbits that we present to you each week. We're also sponsored by the Breakwall Brewing Company, located in beautiful downtown Port Colvern. The folks at the Breakwall still open during these crazy times uh, for takeout and delivery, and that includes beer and food, uh, produce some of the best craft beers in the Niagara region. And the takeout food they're putting out right now is just as good as you would get at any other time. When this all clears up, You have to get to the Niagara region, have a beer and a burger at the break wall, and I'll join you. In last week's show, some of the stories we discussed were some of the technical issues faced by hockey broadcasters in the 1970s, especially where hockey television was still in its relative infancy. We saw how television changed the game of hockey, and hockey changed TV. We learned a bit more about Tony Esposito, who's the player given most credit for the resurgence of the Chicago Blackhawks this season, and he's the Codson favorite to win the National Hockey League Rookie of the Year Award. We also learned about the demise of the Canadian national hockey team in the wake of Canada's withdrawal from international ice hockey competition. We found out about where some of the players ended up, at least those that found hockey jobs immediately. This week, we're looking at a few different news items. We'll find out that a Czechoslovak player makes his NHL debut with the St. Louis Blues. We'll look in depth at the crazy playoff race that has 10 of the 12 National Hockey League teams still in the running for a postseason berth. And we have another story about a rumored move of the California, Oakland, whatever you want to call them, Seals, to another city. And it's quite an interesting one this time. Of course, we have tons more news as the NHL teams are now fully engaged in the stretch run to the playoffs. And it's really, as we said, a horse race. A lot of talk about, so let's get to it. Before we get into the news this week, well, we'd like to briefly touch about what's going on in our present day world. It's really troubling times right now. Uh, Our podcasts are recorded a little more than a week ahead of release. Today is actually March 20th, 2020. So you know what's going on at this point in time. Uh, It's a terrifying time. We can all agree on that. I'm not here to place blame on anybody or anything like that. 
Uh, we just want to let you know we're, we're aware of what's going on. We understand, and we all have to do our part in keeping ourselves, our loved ones, our friend ones, and our neighbors safe, happy, and healthy. Well, maybe not so happy during these trying times, but let's do the best we can. Uh, I've got strong views on what's going on in the world, but I'll leave all that for another time. As I've mentioned in my f- Twitter feed, we gave a lot of thought over whether we should even continue with this project during this uh, mess. Uh, the Twitter response was very gratifying and convinced us to carry on. The way I'm looking at it, it's a lot of fun, at least for me, to relive a much simpler time in my life, recounting hockey news of the day through the eyes of sports journalists who did the reporting, and more importantly, through my 19-year-old eyes as well. Much of what I talk about here and what I write on Twitter are my impressions as I had them 50 years ago. That was the mentality that we had. Now, if we're able to provide a bit of an education on what life was like 50 years ago, so much the better, especially for those of you who weren't around during that time. And if we can provide even a brief desertion, diversion, I'm sorry, from the chaos that seems to dominate our landscape today, we are entirely happy to do so. We'll continue to do this as long as we're able, and we hope that things slowly return to normal. Present-day hockey news will make its return sooner rather than later, and you won't have to depend on news that might be just a tad stale, but still, it's a lot of fun. Now, we have some plans for the uh, podcast through the summer, and it should be a lot of fun. We've done some interviews with hockey folks over the past few months, and we've been holding those in abeyance. Uh, in anticipation that we'll be able to broadcast them during the off season to have some decent content. We also have some plans to recreate a couple of events from the time period that's the subject of this project. And if circumstances allow us to get together, we'll have some very interesting hockey people who are going to be participating. It's exciting. Let's hope things approve and we can show you some very interesting hockey history. Thank you all for tuning in here and catching us on Twitter every day as well. So the biggest story in the hockey world 50 years ago, this week as we go back in time now, has to be the race in the NHL in both divisions to make the Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll give you a rundown on how the race evolved this week, especially in the Eastern Division where five of the six teams are fully in contention for any spot from fifth to first. Uh, we'll do this this week rather than do features and a lot of player movement notes. We're going to concentrate on game results. We don't do that very often, but this is the time of the year when we really should be doing it. So the week started off with the Boston Bruins in first place in the Eastern Division with 91 points, just one ahead of the resurgent Chicago Blackhawks. Both teams haven't played 70 games. The Red Wings were 3 points back of the Blackhawks with a game in hand in third tied with Montreal Canadiens who had 87 points. The Habs had played 70 games like Boston and Chicago. Uh, the Rangers were fifth place with 85 points on the outside looking in and they had also played 70 games. Out in the Western Division, the St. Louis Blues were home and cooled out in, in uh, first place. No battle there at all, but the real fight was for second spot with Philadelphia Flyers in second place, just a point ahead of the Pittsburgh Penguins with 58-57 points respectively. Both teams haven't played 
70 games. Minnesota was hanging on to that fourth and final playoff spot with 51 points in 69 games, but the Oakland Seals, with an equal number of game played, was just one point back. New York Ranger General Manager Emil the Cat Francis started the week off by declaring his Rangers were certainly not out of it. He said, throw out the first 70 games of the season. It's not too late. It's a brand new season now with six games left. We haven't come this far to lose, Emil said. And then he went on to flat out predict the Rangers would be in the playoffs and they would take off Montreal, who was right ahead of them. Well, the Toronto Star with, of course, a Toronto-centric view, uh, they're Fine sports writer Jim Proudfoot reported that it was the Toronto Maple Leafs of all teams who might hold the key to the final standings in the Eastern Division. That's because the Maple Leafs play both the Bruins and Blackhawks twice in the weekend doubleheaders in the final two weeks of the season. If the moribund Toronto squad suddenly, against all odds, got hot against either of the teams, they could really shape the final standings as you know the Bruins and Blackhawks fighting for first place just a point apart if the Leafs can come up with some decent performances and they do have the players to find their way through a few wins they could really be spoilers and that's the role they're playing right now the Detroit Red Wings meanwhile were worried about their final two weeks where they have to play seven games in 11 days, and that's a pretty rigorous slate for a team fighting for its life. The Red Wings are getting good scoring, but their defense is still suspect, although the season Carl Brewer is having as he's come out of retirement has been crucial to the Red Wings' uh, hopes. The Red Wings are also getting great goaltending from Roy Edwards, who seems to have come out of nowhere in the last season and a half, and veteran Roger Crozier, and the plans that Sid Abel had for the final two weeks was to kind of split the goaltending duties unless one of the guys gets incredibly hot. In Philadelphia, Coach Vic Stasiuk feels uh, that his way of motivating the team is to remind the players that they got a chance to make a lot of extra money with playoff bonuses, and that will be the deciding factor. Now, Vic's Flyers are currently sitting second place in the West, as we mentioned, and he's feeling good about finishing right in that spot now. He says that the difference between finishing second and third is about $500 per man in bonuses, and he feels the kind of guys he have will be motivated by those bonuses, and that's going to push his team, as long as he keeps them thinking about that, into the playoffs and especially in the second place. Vic has no qualms about missing the playoffs. They're not going to do that. He's fully expecting to be in second place and having not to play the Blues in the first round of the playoffs. Now here's a surprising stat that really kind of took me uh, out of the blue. One of the reasons that the Minnesota North Stars find themselves in contention for a playoff spot in the Western Division this season is the fact that at this point they have defeated every team in the NHL except one. Now here's here's the problem for the North Stars. The only team that they haven't managed to defeat yet is the Oakland Seals. And they are the one team, it seems, that they have to be able to beat to regain fourth spot 
in the Western Division. That's crazy. Every They're t- beating Boston. They beat Chicago. They beat every Eastern Division club, but they can't beat the Seals. For both the Seals and Minnesota to actually make the postseason, it would take an epic collapse by either the Flyers or the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, the Seals and North Stars met on Tuesday night. They didn't solve anything in their own private race. They played to a two-all tie, so that drama continued as the schedule went on. Wednesday evening, things got just a little more complicated as the Rangers dropped a 3-1 decision to Boston. They really needed that game, but realistically, I don't think they expected to beat the Bruins. Montreal, however, whipped the Maple Leafs 5-1, and that left the Rangers still in fifth, but it vaulted the Canadians into third place in the Eastern Division. Now, the Ranger prospects certainly were bleak at this point, trailing Detroit by two points, but the Red Wings had two games in hand over the Rangers. Now, Red Burnett and the Toronto Star said that the Montreal win over Toronto was a signal to the rest of the Eastern Division that the Canadians are serious about making the playoffs and they're ready to make their move. He cites as evidence of this the play of winger John Ferguson, who seems to have returned to his truculent self, and he's actually, what he is is he's healthy, and he's playing his normal game. He's hitting everything that moves, not afraid to drop the gloves, and uh, if he's going to be healthy and the other Habs that have been kind of hurting all year are going to be getting uh, back to full strength, Red Burnett feels the Canadians are going to be in the postseason. Meanwhile, Pat Curran, he's the senior hockey writer for the Montreal Gazette, and he's a good one. Pat's got his own theory on how the Habs resurgence has taken place at such a crucial time of the season. Uh, Pat postulates that the terrible leg injury suffered by young defenseman Serge Savard, you remember, he broke a leg in two places last week. It was just an awful sight on the ice. He says that leg injury has sparked the Canadians back into contention. Now, Curran says that the team is not only eyeing a playoff spot now, but he, as well as the rest of the team, believe they are strong favorites to finish first in the Eastern Division ahead of both Chicago and Boston. Curran says the team is now coming on strong, just as they have in recent seasons, and there's no reason why this shouldn't happen again when they surge at the end of the schedule to lead the league and division championships. Thursday night, the schedule continued, and out west, the Seals got a goal from minor league call-up Joe Hardy, often called Gypsy Joe Hardy, with 12 seconds left to take a big 3-2 win over the Flyers in Oakland. Now, this loss was particularly galling for the Philadelphians. They led almost the entire game before losing it to the Seals in the late stages. This enabled the Oakland club to take over fourth place in the West while the North Stars were being blanked 2 nothing on the road in Pittsburgh. The North Stars in that game looked like a tired bunch. Uh, they were very weary, it seemed. And right now, the way that they're playing, it seems they could be the odd time out when this is all said and done. On Thursday, during the day, the Bruins took an unusual step, at least an unusual step for NHL teams during 
1970, General Manager Milt Schmidt made the decision to bar members of the public from the Bruins' practices. Uh, Coach Harry Sinden was left to make a statement to the press, and he said that the private sessions will give the team a better chance to concentrate on preparations for the remainder of the regular season and the playoffs. And I think he probably wanted to keep things quiet and not let anybody see just how banged up the Bruins really are. Thursday evening was a very significant game for a couple of reasons. The Chicago Blackhawks went into Detroit and blanked the Red Wings one to nothing. That kept the Blackhawks one point behind the first place Bruins, who had played, of course, on Wednesday evening. But of more significance in this game, Chicago's rookie goaltender Tony Esposito registered the shutout and it was his 14th whitewash of the NHL season and that's a record. It breaks the old standard set by the old Toronto Maple Leaf goalie Harry Lumley back in 1953-54. And also on Thursday, the Rangers, uh, in an effort to jumpstart their stagnant offense, uh, found out that they lost left winger Vic Hadfield for the rest of the season, and that is a severe blow to the Rangers' playoff hopes. Vic suffered a strained Achilles tendon, and they don't think he's going to be back at all this season, although he might make it for the playoffs, uh, a lot of people have their doubts. To replace Hadfield on the forward line, the Rangers dipped into their Omaha Central Hockey League team and called up the league scoring champion for this year, winger Jack Eagers, who's a native of Sudbury, Ontario. Eagers is the Central Hockey League scoring champion with 42 goals, 48 assists for 90 points, and he's expected to maybe jumpstart this sputtering Ranger offense as they make this drive for the playoffs. On Friday, as we move towards the weekend, the Flyers, who are really starting to flail away as as well now, dropped their second straight game on the West Coast, and they now have only one win in their last six. This one was a 3-2 decision to, of all teams, the Los Angeles Kings, who by far are the worst team in the National Hockey League. Now, this was a game that the Flyers fully expected to take with ease, as the Kings just haven't got anything going right now. The Flyers' offense over the past couple of games had been sorely lacking, and Coach Vic Stasiuk was completely at a loss to explain. But he did put the blame squarely on his players, especially the ones on whom he depends for most of his goal scoring. One of those players was center Andre Lacroix, and Andre, he, he stood up, he did not shirk responsibility. He said he felt that the battle for second place would come down to the last two games of the season, which were against the Pittsburgh Penguins, right behind the Flyers in third. Andre said, if we can't beat them twice, we don't deserve to finish second. An equally crucial game took place in Oakland Friday as well, and the Seals in that game edged the first place Blues 3-2 to two in a game that was not without controversy. In fact, it enraged North Stars coach Charlie Burns. And you wonder why this is? Well, in that game, the St. Louis team did not dress Al Arbor, Red Berenson, Frank St. Marseille, 
and Bill McCurry and none of those guys seemed to be injured at all. Burns accused the Blues of resting healthy players to the benefit of the Seals and to hurt the North Stars. He also questioned Blues' strategy of failing to pull goalie Ernie Wakely in the final minute of play while down by a goal and having a face-off in the Oakland zone. Now we must remember Al Arbor wasn't playing in this game. He was behind the St. Louis bench and maybe Al was just not thinking in a strategic manner that would have reminded him to pull goalie Ernie Wakely to try and tie the game. Or maybe Al had some instructions. Don't try too hard. We'd rather see the Seals in the playoffs than the North Stars. That's what coach of the North Stars, Charlie Burns, and general manager Ren Blair have to be thinking right now. Meanwhile, in uh, Pittsburgh, Coach Red Kelly, who has done an amazing job coaching the Penguins this season, he wasn't concentrating on second place in the Western Division. Red, always the optimist, was thinking Stanley Cup. Red told Bill Hufelder of the Pittsburgh Press that because of his team's strong goaltending and Al Smith and Les Binkley finally back from a knee injury, and more importantly, his team's very strong work ethic and checking ability, the Penguins could be a dark horse team to win the Stanley Cup. Red believes they can take on any team in the Western Division and come out of that division in the playoffs the way they're going right now. And he says once you get in the finals against an NHL's Eastern team, he says anything could happen. Red believes there's honestly something very special about this team this year. So Saturday arrived and the Rangers were preparing for their game in Montreal against Canadians and they got some really great news. Brad Park, who's been out for a few weeks with a broken angle, seems to have recovered enough to be able to suit up and play for the Habs in their Saturday night game at the Forum. However, first the Rangers had to get to Montreal and they had a heck of a time doing that. They almost didn't make it. Here's what happened. Uh, there's uh, airline strikes going on in the United States, and many flights around North America had been canceled, and one of them was the Rangers' flight from New York to Montreal. So the team, anticipating that this might be the case, chartered a bus for the trip. Francis had the bus on standby, knowing that the uh, air traffic controller slowdown might cancel the flight. And when it did, they were ready to go. The bus arrived at Madison Square Garden at 4 p.m. And the driver, he was a shaggy-haired guy in his 30s, opened the door. And uh, Francis looked in the bus. And there he saw in the front seat a girl who looked to be maybe 18 years old. Now, Francis wondered what the heck was going on and asked the bus driver, hey, what's this all about? What's she doing here? The driver said that uh, the girl was his wife and she was going to ride with the team to Montreal to visit some of her relatives. Francis looked at him and said, not on this bus, she ain't. Okay, said the driver, here's what I'll do. He said, I'll drop her off on the way to, Mon to Manhattan. The bus was loaded up. They got all the gear on and took off for the scheduled seven and a half hour trip 
that will get him into Montreal just before midnight. Now the girl sat quietly in the front reading from a Shakespearean play. Now no one thought anything of it when the driver turned off the Long Island Expressway. uh, Francis later said, I thought he was just avoiding rush hour traffic. It was pretty bad. On 47th Street near 49th Avenue, the bus driver pulled the bus over to the curb and said, I'm going to help her find a cab. And he stood up, took her off the bus with one suitcase. Now, after about 15 minutes of waiting, Francis suddenly bolted out of his seat, stood up and asked the players, what the heck's going on here? Dave Ballone quipped, rats are to assert in the sinking ship, I think, Emil. Francis sent the trainer, Frank Pace, to go look for the driver who was nowhere to be found. Pace came back empty-handed and the players were kind of joking about what might be occupying the driver's time right now. After about 25 minutes, a crowd started to gather around the bus. About a half an hour later, the players decided to go into that delicatessen located across the street. Francis went in. He found a phone. He called the bus company. He shouted in the phone so everybody in the place could hear. We got no one to drive the bus. One of the boys kept pleading, I'll drive email. I'll drive. Please let me drive. Donnie Marshall, still with the team, although injured, sat patiently through the ordeal and said, it's a good thing we weren't flying. What if the pilot had deserted us? Finally, about an hour and five minutes later, another driver arrived, but he had just come off duty and he wasn't allowed to work a double shift. But he was told he had to take the team back to the garage where the bus came from. The bus went back to their station and a third driver who'd been having supper on his day off at home when he was called in came in and he took over. Francis said, this is the first time I ever had to call up a driver under emergency conditions. Well, the driver got him onto the highway and onto Montreal. They finally arrived in the Quebec City of Montreal, 2 a.m., Saturday morning and the Rangers were hoping they'd at least be able to have some semblance of spark when they played the Canadians that evening. Well the Rangers weren't great in that game but neither were the Canadians and the team skated to a one-all tie. However the Rangers gained nothing on the Red Wings The fourth place Wings managed a 5-5 tie with the Bruins in a wild game in Boston. In that game, Bobby Orr scored the tying goal for the Bruins with less than four minutes to play in the game. In the other Saturday Eastern Division game, it was a tie between Chicago and Toronto, nodding it up at 1-1. The weekend ended with Sunday's game seeing the Blackhawks blank the Leafs 4-0 while the Red Wings and Bruins skated to their second tie in as many nights. That left Chicago in first, tied in points with Boston with 95, but with more wins than the Bruins, they get the tiebreaker. Montreal continued to cling to third place, one up on Detroit with the Rangers in fifth, one back of the Red Wings. By the way, that uh, 5-0 win for the Blackhawks, Tony Esposito getting his 15th shutout 
of the National Hockey League season as he adds to his own record. Out west, the Penguins opened up a four-point lead over the Flyers per second as they continue their downward spiral. Oakland's one up on Minnesota in the battle for fourth now. The final week is shaping up to be a wild one. Except for the Blues finishing first in the west, it's all up for grabs. And now we'll get on to other news and notes from this second last week of the National Hockey League season. Starting off, the Blues called up 30-year-old Yaroslav Yurek from their Kansas City Blues farm team in the Central Hockey League. He made his debut Sunday evening against the Chicago Blackhawks. There aren't many Czechs who are playing in the National Hockey League right now, at least many that have been raised, born, trained in Czechoslovakia. Stan Makita, as you know, is of Czech descent playing for the Blackhawks, but he played all his junior hockey in Canada. Al Arbor, who coached the Blues in that Sunday game against Chicago, was very pleased with Jurek's debut. He said the kid fit in very well with St. Louis and remarked, he can skate, can he? Jurek said that playing in the NHL was much harder than the CHL, where they uh, play position much better in the big leagues, and the game is so much faster. He also said that the NHL players handle the puck far better than the CHL guys, and they seem to know exactly what they're doing. Jarek says a game in the Central Hockey League is much more of a scrambly type of play, and there seems to be more hitting in the minor league, probably says because of the scrambly play and the players just don't think the game as well as the big leaguers. Uh, don't look for a flood of Czechs or Russians making NHL appearances, though. Jurek is only allowed to be playing in the North American professional leagues because his home country has deemed him too old to be able to help the national team there. A little bit of news from Vancouver and how the new NHL team Canucks are doing. Canucks are in the process of finishing their Western Hockey League season where they are running away with the league title there and their hawking season tickets for next year sales are going very well and in fact some projections have the Canucks with a complete sellout for all games in their first season. Well, Roger Bourbonnet is a former player with Canada's national team. Uh, he's now working for a law firm in Edmonton. Roger was in Vancouver this week angling to purchase about 80 season tickets for the Canucks games for people in Edmonton. There are people in Edmonton who want to take in all the Canucks games on a season basis. Now, the response was so strong that he originally was only going to buy 40 more seats than had been originally planned, but then he had to order 80. Now think about this. Roger's plan is to buy these tickets and fly people from Edmonton to Vancouver for every single game. It's going to be an expensive proposition for people. They must have some pretty rich hockey fans in Ed in Edmonton. The seats and the flight for each game will cost about $60. So $60 a game at 38 home games for the season is going to cost a person $2,280 to watch hockey in Vancouver. Well, 
If they can afford it, why not? Here's an interesting little story about Chicago's rookie goalie, Tony Esposito, that's going to maybe make a few people wonder and maybe seem like a bit of an explanation to a lot of other people. Tony, as you know, employs a very uh, unorthodox style of playing goal, legs spread wide apart in the profile that would look like a monarch butterfly. Well, apparently, in a recent game, the Rangers general manager coach, Emil Francis, we seem to be talking about Emil a lot this week, he detected something untoward about uh, the rookie goalie's equipment, and he wants a stop put to it. Tony seems to have sewn some sort of leather webbing in the crotch of his hockey pants to cut off the gap between his legs as he stands in that widespread stance. The leather webbing catches shots that would otherwise slip between Tony's legs and into the net, and this is definitely against the rules. I think the NHL was having a quiet talk with Tony and it is learned that the webbing has been removed from Tony's equipment. But now here's the kicker. There's a follow-up story making the rounds. Tony already has another scheme to close off that gap between his legs. It's said that he is going to use colorless monofilament fishing line woven into the crotch area. It's much more difficult to detect from an NHL coach's perch behind an NHL bench. I'm wondering what pound test Tony is going to use to be able to contain an NHL shot. We haven't heard much about former Cornell University goalie Ken Dryden. You remember he signed a three-year contract with Canada's national team where they would pay for his uh, schooling. He's going to law school in exchange for him playing for the national team for three years. Well, with the demise of the national team, we really hadn't heard what's happening to Ken. Well, word comes down is that the Toronto native is expected to enter McGill University in Montreal in September to continue his law studies. Now, the folks in Montreal are hoping that since Canadians do own his professional rights, uh, Ken may end up playing part-time with the American Hockey League Montreal Voyager. Now, the Oakland Seals, uh, we're not talking about their playoff fight right now. We're talking more about their fight to survive. Once again, the Seals seem to be in financial difficulty, aren't they always? And the rumor du jour on Friday had them leaving Oakland to move along with the Boston Celtics to the Nassau County Coliseum, the new arena on Long Island, New York, in time for next season. Now, this new building has a capacity of 14,000 fans for hockey, and it's slated to open in the fall. The news magazine Newsday, a very credible source, said that Island Sports and Entertainment Corporation is one of seven firms bidding to operate the Long Island Arena, and it has an agreement in place with Transnational, that's the Transnational Corporation of New York, who own both the Celtics and the Seals. They have a deal with Transnational to switch the two professional sports teams, the Celtics and the Seals, to Long Island. Of course, 
any switches would still need approval from both the National Hockey League and the NBA, and uh, the teams will not be able to take up residence in New York until those hurdles are cleared. It didn't take long, only 24 hours, for National Hockey League President Clarence Campbell to put the story to rest. He says that the NHL could never allow a team on Long Island because he would intrude into the New York Rangers territory, something NHL could never abide. Unless, of course, the team moving there came up with some kind of a boatload of money for the Rangers and the rest of the league. If it puts money in the pocket of the NHL governors, they'll find a way around it. There will be a team in Long Island. I doubt it'll be the Seals. And speaking of Long Island, we've heard some rumblings very low of a rival league, something like the American Basketball Association or the American Football League being established in hockey with an eye towards getting their bulkhead being established in the New York area and specifically that new arena in Long Island. So really, although the Seals would seem to be not going according to uh, Clarence Campbell to New York. The NHL could do a lot worse than moving the Seals there to head off any incursion into that NHL territory by a rival league. I don't know if the NHL governors have the vision and the foresight to make such a move, but if this rival league ever got established in several cities, the only thing it would do would be driving up player salaries and diluting the already declining quality of play. That's probably going to drive down ticket sales and it's going to cost the governors of the NHL a lot more money. If they have any vision and if they're smart, they'll nip this in the bud right away. NHL referee Bruce Hood had a particularly bad game on Thursday night in Oakland and the players on both teams were complaining about his officiating. Bruce found himself in the role of linesman Friday night as the Kings played the Flyers in Los Angeles, and most of the folks thought that Bruce had been demoted, especially the Flyers, because they figured he called a shoddy game in their game against Oakland. That wasn't the case, and we'll set that straight now. A lot of people didn't realize it. Bruce volunteered to fill in on the lines for the Kings-Flyers game because linesman Claude Bechard was put out of action with a very painful back injury, and Bruce filled the gap and did a good job on the lines. He'll be back as the referee for games in the NHL this weekend. In Buffalo, the Sabres have made what they say is a final offer to Erie County for the use of Memorial Auditorium for National Hockey League games. The owners of the Sabres agreed to increase the city's share of gate revenue to 6% of sales for the first seven years of the 20-year lease. It would then increase to 8.5% for the second seven years, and in the final six years of the deal, the city would get 9% of ticket revenue, gate revenue, in that contract. The city had asked the Sabres to rework the previous deal when it learned that the cost of modifying the arena to meet NHL specifications was going to cost $8.7 million, far greater 
than the $6.2 million had originally been projected. The plans are still in place to have the roof of the yard raised and a seating capacity increased to 15000 in time for the start of the 70-71 season. Now, if you've seen Memorial Auditorium, you know that it seats between nine and 10000 Putting that upper deck balcony on there means raising the roof of that building a full 22 feet. I don't know how they can get it done by September or October, but that is the plan. And finally this week, uh, we have news that Chicago Blackhawks superstar Bobby Hull is selling his cattle farm at Big Island, Ontario, which is near the town of Belleville. Bobby's moving his operation to Whitewood, Saskatchewan, which is about 100 miles east of Regina. Bob is going into business with a fellow named Walter Horn, who is a prominent Western Canada cattle breeder. Bobby's Ontario herd has been liquidated and Holdview Farms is now for sale. So what have we learned in this eventful week in the National Hockey League? Well, we're seeing one of the wildest playoff races in National Hockey League history is going to come down to the final week. And as this week ended, nothing except the Blues first place finish and the Kings last place in the West and the Leafs last in the East had been determined. We learned of an NHL record set by rookie goalie Tony Esposito of the Chicago Blackhawks who recorded his 14th and 15th shutouts of the NHL season in goal for the Blackhawks. But we wonder, was Tony bending the rules a bit to have such a fine season? Eh, maybe so. We also learned of yet another proposed move by the Oakland Seals, this time all across the continent to New York. But NHL Clarence Campbell nixed any idea of the team switching to that brand new arena in Long Island. So next week, please come back and uh, hear how the NHL regular season's going to finish up. Some of the stories next week we're covering is that final week of the 69-70 season unfolding, and you will not believe how the final night of the NHL season turns out. Nothing like that has ever been seen before or since, and we'll have all the details. We'll learn about a veteran NHL goalie trying to decide if he should finally don a face mask. And we'll find out if the Buffalo Common Council can find a way to approve the much more expensive than anticipated expansion of Memorial Auditorium for the Buffalo Savers. Please join us next week for another 50-year trip back in time to the hockey world of 1970. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is put together every week by Andy Cole, a radio professional who is outstanding with the technical part of this show. We can't thank Andy enough for all his hard work.
The very popular Juno-nominated Toronto indie rock group, The Rural Alberta Advantage, provides our introduction music, and Andy Cole also has other musical pieces that you'll find interspersed throughout the show. Now, if you ever get a chance to see The Rural Alberta Advantage in a live performance, you should take it in. It's a high-energy, very, very fun show. Uh, our research comes from files from the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail, and of course, the many publications found at newspapers.com. Now, don't forget to give a listen to Andy Cole's Let's Write a Song podcast. Each week, Andy and a special guest engage in some great conversation, and during the podcast, they write a brand new song, which they perform at the end of the show. The interesting part is, not all the guests are musicians, and the results of what they come up with are really quite unique and very entertaining. You should give it a listen. You can find us on Twitter at, at Hockey50Years and on Facebook under 50 Years Ago in Hockey. We have a WordPress site at Hockey50YearsAgo.com where we give news about this podcast. And of course, you can get the podcast through your favorite podcast app and on Spotify. Thanks again to everyone who tunes into the show. We enjoy bringing this to you each week. And on that note, we will see you next time. When the ice